In the name of Jesus, amen. Life is full of making excuses, isn't it? It's part of managing every schedule. It's part of managing life. There are things that we sign up for, and then when the time rolls around, we unsign up for them. There are things that we want to do, that we intend to do, until it actually comes around. And then all the things that we had planned, all the things that we thought sounded so good, don't sound quite so appealing anymore. Or, or more important things have risen up, and so excuses come. You've been on both ends of those excuses. You have been people who make excuses, I'm sure, and you've also been on the receiving end of someone saying, you know, I know we had plans, but it's not going to work because of whatever reason. Excuses are a dime a dozen. And what we hear Jesus speaking of this morning is not kind of the -the run-of-the-mill excuses, the kind that are acceptable, but what we hear Jesus speaking about are those who excuse themselves from his call. And we'll come around to that in time, but I just want you to think of what excuses mean Think through this a little bit this morning. Why do we make excuses? There are times and places where excuses are what I've called acceptable, right? We all acknowledge that there are things beyond our control, and so if you and I make plans and something comes up, something big and unexpected, well, okay, excuses happen. Life happens. But you also know, as well as I do, that there are plenty of excuses that we search for. There are plenty of excuses that we create, not because of some kind of an emergency, but because, well, we'd rather not do the things that we signed up for. Call it buyer's remorse, call it the fear of missing out, call it the frenzy of life, call it whatever you want, but we are people who are prone, very prone, to make excuses. And as long as it's no big deal, as long as what we're canceling on is a minor thing, if it's just lunch with someone else, that can be moved. If it's just an arrangement with someone else, a play date or something like that, that can be rearranged. But if we fall into that habit of making excuses, of breaking promises, of making plans and never never following through, well, before long, we will find ourselves excusing ourselves out of the very things that we most need. And what happens when we get used to making excuses is that life's appointments, the things that you plan for, all start to feel kind of small and insignificant. Now, if everything in life was just a lunch date, if everything in life was just a play date that could be arranged, I guess it would be no big deal to constantly make excuses. But suppose there are things in your life that actually matter. Suppose there are things in life that you can't go back and repeat. Suppose there are arrangements that have been made that won't come around a second time. Today we hear Jesus speaking of such a thing. There is something in this life, there is something in the world that you must not miss out on. There is something in this life, there is something in this world that the call to it The call to that thing is the difference between truly living and not living at all. But if we're used to making excuses, that can seem kind of foreign. When Jesus spoke of this parable, I wonder if those who were sitting there at table with him thought of the master of the feast, wow, he's kind of an unreasonable guy. 
You know, why, why doesn't he excuse these guys? They just went out to look at their field. They went out to look at their cows. And what about this guy who got married? Surely the master of the feast should understand these things. He should recognize that there are more important things than coming to the banquet. And that's precisely why Jesus spoke of this parable. For there are some things in life, and I want you to recognize well this morning the call of God, the invitation of Jesus Christ to faith in him. That is something that cannot be missed. That is something that cannot be too highly valued. That is something that we must never, never, never think, well, it's no big deal. A great writer once put it this way, all around us is the city of small things, abounding in its backways and its retreats. We always have a way out, but surely, sooner or later, there will be a towering flame rising up from the harbor, announcing that the reign of cowards, those who always back out, is over, and that a man is burning his ships. You want to have no way out? It's kind of a scary thought. That's what burning the ship is meant to be. There is no backing out. That's a a kind of scary thought for us because we like to have our alleys and backways. We like to have our excuses. We like to be able to say, well, I'll come unless something better comes along. But today, dear friends, Christ Jesus speaks in this parable so that you would burn the ship so to speak, so that you would be one of those who stands in the harbor and says, I'm going with him and I'm burning the way out. For truly, there is nothing greater than the invitation to the kingdom of God. Now, that's something that I think when we hear, we all say, well, yes, pastor, of course. We all are like that man at the banquet or at the uh, meal that Jesus was eating who says, surely everyone is blessed who will, in the end, eat bread in the kingdom of God. The guy was only thinking about the far-off future someday possibility. And someday, we'd all like to be there, right? Someday, we'd all like to be with Jesus. Someday, we'd all like to see the kingdom of God. But what Jesus' parable points out is that what is seemingly far off, he has come to begin The call to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us in this parable, is a present thing, not a future thing. It is a now thing, not a someday, not a tomorrow, for tomorrow is always tomorrow, but today, today, Jesus says, today is the day to come to the call. Now, you can see in Jesus' parable, you can see something of the master of the feast. He is urgent, isn't he? He is urgent to have his house filled. And I want you to see in that not some kind of arrogant thing, right, as if he would somehow be embarrassed, as if he just wants to save face. No, the master of the feast that Jesus is speaking of today is God himself. And what I want you to see in his urgency to fill his house is the desire of God that you would be saved. God is not embarrassed somehow if we don't come. He is not humiliated. He's not worried about what other people will say on the next day. Wow, I heard only 50% of the people who RSVP'd showed up. Guess it was kind of a lame party. The Lord is not afraid of that, but he desires that all would come. It is the will of God that all would be saved. Christ Jesus came into the world not just for a select few, not just for a minority, but he came and shed his blood for all nations. 
And he wants all to be present. He wants us all to be there. And you can see the urgency of the master of the feast. Okay, these ones won't come. Go and fill my house. And when the servant comes back and says, look, master, we've brought in the poor and the crippled and the lame. He says, go out again and compel people to come in. See, in God's view, salvation is not, you know, just one thing among many. It's not like having lunch with a friend. It's not like arranging a play date with other kids. In God's view, salvation is everything. And he wants all to be saved. And so when Jesus speaks about salvation, he always speaks with urgency. Now is the time, Christ Jesus says. Don't think about someday, far off, eventually I'll get around to thinking about these things. No, Jesus says to the people then, and he says to you today, now is the time. All is now prepared, says the master of the feast. And in those words, there is this wonderful kind of sense of fulfillment of everything Jesus has come. What does it mean that the banquet of salvation is prepared? Well, it means that Christ Jesus has accomplished all things. It means there is nothing left for you to do. It's not like Jesus said, I'll do half the work and you do the other half. No, it means that by God's grace, by God's grace alone, all things are prepared for you. So come. Come to the feast, that is, come and believe in Jesus Christ. Come and be present where his feast is celebrated. Come and receive from him the gifts of salvation, which are delivered to you in the word and through the holy sacraments. Come, God says, for I have done everything. Sounds a lot like the way that our Old Testament reading spoke. Wisdom has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. And at just the right time, God sent his son, wisdom incarnate. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who carried our sins to the cross to accomplish all things. As he himself testified there, as he hung on the cross, it is finished. All is prepared. Everything is ready. So come, come. The urgency of God that we would come to his feast, the urgency of the Father that we would believe, and the urgency of the Son to accomplish all things necessary for our salvation is now matched by the urgency of the Holy Spirit who rushes out into the world and calls, calls, calls all nations to come to faith. But see, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Because we like to kind of downplay urgency. We like to think that, well, if we don't get around to it today or this week or this month, there's always another chance. There will always be another opportunity. The Spirit will always call us, right? Surely the Spirit understands our excuses. Surely God understands that sometimes things come up. Sometimes there's a field to inspect. Sometimes there's oxen to look look after, and sometimes, well, sometimes we have to get married and do all these other things. God knows that we need all of those things, and Jesus did not tell this parable to say that fields are bad, or oxen are bad, or marriage is bad. But what Jesus' parable points out to us is that when those things take a greater sense of urgency, when those things take a greater priority than the Lord, then we have excused ourselves from the very thing that is most necessary. 
We have gone down the back alleys. We have gone down the retreats. We have backed away from our Lord. And surely we can all recognize times in our life where we have thought like this, where we have supposed that, well, God will understand, but my boss won't. Jesus will understand, but my wife won't. The Lord, the Holy Spirit will understand, but these other things are just more important right now, and we'll get around to God's things later. Be careful of such thinking, dear friends. Be careful of such excuses. Be careful when they crop up in your hearts. Be careful when they crop up in your minds. Well, I've been to church twice this month. Do I really need a third time, a fourth time? Be careful. Be careful of these things because the habits you lay down, the things that you decide, the patterns of your life that you build now will either pave the way for greater and greater obedience or they will pave the way for greater and greater disobedience. What's one Sunday once in a while, Pastor? Well, one Sunday once in a while is maybe not that big of a deal, but one Sunday has a way of leading to two Sundays, and two Sundays has a way of leading to four Sundays, and before you know it, a year has gone by, two years have gone by since you heard the voice of Jesus calling in your ears, since you tasted his banquet of salvation. Be careful of such excuses Let the urgency of God the Father that we hear in the parable this morning stir up in your own heart that same kind of urgency. For if God desires you to be here, if God desires you to taste of his salvation to such an extent that he sends out his messengers again and again and again, how could we hear that urgency and say, well, maybe, maybe if nothing better comes up. Maybe if the stars align and the kids' schedule and my schedule and everything just sort of matches up. No, settle in your heart and in your mind today that every Sunday belongs to the Lord. Make the Lord's day for the Lord's things, his house, his word, his sacrament, the fellowship of his people. And you will find, dear friends, you will find that his banquet, his banquet that we celebrate in this place does not disappoint There is no fear of missing out when you are with the Lord Jesus. There is no buyer's remorse when you are with him. If you burn your ship, so to speak, and you follow Christ Jesus, you will not be led astray. He will not disappoint you. He will not leave you high and dry. The call to the kingdom, the call to the kingdom is the greatest call, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. And that call to the kingdom is an invitation not only to the feast of salvation in the end, but it is an invitation to the feast of wisdom already now. The feast of wisdom. That's how I want you to think of the life of discipleship with Jesus this morning. Surely this parable is not simply about church attendance. It is, can be applied to that, but it has to do with the whole life of faith. And I want you this morning to see that when Jesus calls you to the feast of salvation, it isn't just, you know, kind of a a life insurance policy that comes through in the end. No, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are entering into wisdom the path of wisdom and discernment and insight. And that benefits you not just on the last day, but it benefits you already now. The world is full of folly. And the book of Proverbs often puts these two things together. Here is the way of wisdom, and here is the way of folly. And quite often, they look, by all outward appearances, kind of the same. In the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is personified as speaking of a feast and drawing the nations to herself, but so is the Lady Folly. 
She offers all kinds of enticements, all kinds of allurements. And you can hear it in Jesus' parable under the guise of speaking of fields and oxen and marriage. All good things, right? But if our hearts are disproportionately given to those things, if our mind is always thinking about our investments, about our purchases, about what's in the bank account, about what our wife, what our husband, what our children are thinking of us, and we have no time for the Lord Jesus, well, perhaps we're in the house of folly and not in the house of wisdom. Here is the beginning of wisdom, Jesus says, the fear of the Lord. And if we're going to put it in terms of the parable, the beginning of wisdom sounds like this, recognizing that it is better, it is far better to be at the banquet with Jesus than to be anywhere else. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is, recognizing that I am less than the Lord. That is, putting myself under him and recognizing that his word, his spirit, his commands, his wisdom is far better than anything I could dream up for myself. A desire for him. A desire to be with Jesus. A desire to hear his word, to understand it, to have time spent in his congregation. That is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't have that desire, if that strikes no chord with you, if you come this morning and you hear the things that Jesus says in this parable and you say, well, I don't know, I guess maybe it's important, maybe it's a big deal, maybe it's something that I might want to one day perhaps possibly consider, well then recognize your own inadequacy. Recognize that lack of desire and pray that the Lord would awaken in you a love for him that matches his love for you. This is what it means to begin on the path of wisdom. It is to recognize that all of our investments and all of our purchases and all of our other relationships, even our marriage, is not the most important thing in life. Maybe that sounds strange to hear. Maybe it sounds strange to hear your pastor say, there is someone more important than your wife. There is someone more important than your husband. But it's not just me saying it. This is the parable of Jesus. He is the author and designer of marriage. And he says, he says not to let that become even that, that good thing, become an excuse to back away from the Lord. But as wisdom it just begins with this fear, it doesn't end there. For the feast of wisdom feeds you for life, not only in the end, but it feeds you for life now. Listen again to what it says in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out pillars. She has slaughtered beasts and mixed wine. Wisdom is like a house that you can live in. It is like a well-built palace that you can inhabit. Wisdom prepares a feast. Wisdom can be tasted. Wisdom prepares you for all of life. Wisdom builds, folly doesn't. Wisdom feeds and satisfies, folly doesn't. Those people who went out and excused themselves from the banquet, supposing that their investments were more important, that their purchases were more important, that their marriage was more important, in the end, in the end, they would surely find out that those things can't satisfy. And as we look around at the world around us, we see this very thing. We see people pursuing the path of folly, always in a hurry to do the next thing, always looking out for what's next and what's best, but never finding satisfaction, not being able to build anything. Think of the discussions that have come up in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision. 
There are plenty of people who are speaking about what's good and what's right and what's healthy. But note, note, what can actually sustain? What can actually build a society? What can actually build a future? It is not the devaluing of human life. It is not the destruction of the vulnerable that builds. If we pursue that path, if we go down folly's way, we will find ourselves always in a hurry, always running around, always busy, and not ever building anything that can last. But if you follow the path of wisdom, if you learn to fear the Lord and that that is the beginning, then things can be built. Families can be built. Societies can be built. Congregations can be built. For then you will be following the path of wisdom and not simply human folly. Maybe you've seen this before. Have you ever seen little children? They have this way of kind of uh, never having to face their consequences. They do it this way. They just are always on the move. I have a niece who's like this. She's always on the move, and any time she gets in trouble, she just keeps moving. She just keeps going. And so mom and dad are always chasing after her, always trying to catch up, and eventually they get tired, right? They get tired of chasing, because who has as much energy as a little girl? But see, that's the world of folly. Always in a hurry, always in a rush, never facing consequences, always moving, always moving. But the way of wisdom is solid. The way of faith in Christ Jesus, knowing his commandments and following them, that is something that can be built upon. That is a life that doesn't need to be in a rush, in a hurry, in a fever. That is a life that has foundations. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. And in the fullness of time, God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to set up that house of wisdom, to prepare for you this banquet of wisdom where the feast is always better than before. So come, answer the call when it comes to you. Let no excuse rise in your heart. Burn the ship, so to speak, and go with your Lord Jesus. For with him, there is life. With him, there is a home. With him, there is a feast. And to him be the glory now and forever. Amen.